0: Welcome back to the podcast and on today's show I had an incredible conversation with Irish international dressage rider Fenella Quinn. Fenella is currently based in Aberdeen in Scotland with a beautiful string of horses ranging from international level to exciting youngsters. Over the past number of years she's competed throughout the UK and Europe, up to Grand Prix and has clocked up wins at Premier League, High Profiles and Regional Championships. Finella is extremely passionate about the riders mental wellbeing and we spoke in depth about the importance of reaching out for help and how we don't have to suffer mentally in order to succeed. We spoke at length about her incredible comeback after horrific accidents, the importance of the correct kind of discipline and being kind to yourself and so much more. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Finella, and I definitely forgot that we were recording at times. I really hope you can appreciate her openness, honesty, and vulnerability with regards to her journey, and I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Today's show, I am so delighted and so privileged to be joined by Irish international dressage rider, Fenella Quinn. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I was so delighted
0: um, to get you on. I know this has have been um, in the works for a really long time. So thank you so much for giving up a lovely wet Thursday evening to catch <laughs> me. And yeah, you've had a very exciting um, week with a new arrival, which I cannot wait to get into talking about. But yeah. um, we'll start it out as I always do. And tell us how you got into horses.
1: Well I was pretty much born horsey mad. Um, I wasn't really from a horsey family but my mom had ridden at riding schools growing up and had always loved horses and she'd ridden up until she was pregnant with my brother and then had given up and thought that would be that. I came along and as soon as I could talk it was horses horses horses. <laughs> um, despite her best effort she couldn't keep me away. So I started at the local riding school when I was five years old. And I had lessons there for four years before my parents very kindly bought me my first pony. Um, And with her, I did, you know, a bit of everything. Gymkhana's pony club, jumping, flat work, everything. Uh, She was a lovely little Welsh pony called Bella. And yeah, from there, it just spiraled (laughs) into a lifelong obsession.
0: love that. I love that you got the the varied background. And... When was it, um, well, I suppose um, starting off, you know, your love for it, you know, it started at a young age, but I suppose what kind of, how did you find your buzz for dressage then? I suppose where did you kind of get bitten by that bug, as they yeah, say? Yeah,
1: it was a bit of a slow one for me. So when I got my second pony, he had been a show jumping pony and I jumped with him and I really liked doing some showing and working hunter, but I was always a youngster that enjoyed the flat work. So when my a lot of my friends wanted to go gallop across the field I really wanted to have a schooling session I just always really enjoyed that aspect of it mm. and my pony had lovely paces so I did a little bit of riding club dressage with him and I would score quite well and I would up in amongst the adults you know when I was a kind of young teenager and I'm a natural perfectionist so I kind of got quite you know quite obsessed and interested with the idea of always being able to better something, you know, and the precision that goes to dressage. So when, I mean, thankfully for me, I'm quite short. So I got to ride my pony till I was like 20. (laughs) when I was 18, I got my first horse. And with him, I did some riding club dressage. And then someone said, you know, have you ever thought about affiliating and, and doing some British dressage? And I thought, oh, I don't know, but I was talked into it. And with him, I competed my first BDs prelim novice level and again you know just the precision and the just I got really obsessed with the idea of you know being able to always get that bit better because with the jumping and things which I loved and I'm glad I'm so glad I did a bit of everything growing up you know with jumping there's and I mean this with absolutely no disrespect to show jumpers I am a wimp now and I have so much you know respect for these brave people but you know it's it's repetitive in a way you know because you're, you're going and you're jumping jumps and obviously you can bring your horses on and jump different heights and so I mean that with no disrespect but I love mm. the progression of dressage I loved the way you know you were always striving for something a bit better and teaching mm. the horses new things so yeah that was that was it for me I
0: suppose it's that element of <clears throat> you can make that trot a bit bouncier that canter a bit bigger Generally. you know that that shoulder in a bit more softer whatever it is and the pain that stands out to me that I've actually had the privilege of interviewing a lot of dressage writers is that element of perfectionism and that element of wanting to improve comes up time and time again it seems to be a common attribute with writers
1: yeah, my mum always said that I was my own critic, and I was always so self-critical of everything I did. At 12, 13, thirteen, I'd come out with dressage chest and go, "Oh, my circles were too big, or this could have been better, or that could have been better." And I was never, I was never quite happy, and you know, with my performances. And she laughed because she said, "You know, from a young age, I was always very much, I want to do this better, I want to get better, I want to get better." And you know, like I say, and up until I was probably, you know, about twenty, I still I did some British show jumping as well, and you know, I would, I did work in come to a county level. So I did, you know, lots of other things alongside it, but my, the dressage just drew me in more and more with that. You know, I had that hunger to always be improving. And like you say, you can just add so much to a horse, you know, when I was younger and I learned to ride, you think a horse walk, trot, canter, and you know, mm. that's it. And growing up yeah. and learning about all these things you could teach and how you could improve a pace and all those kind of things for me was just so interesting. So that was the the drive
0: and up until um you know when you were combining the dressage and the show jumping just did you find that your show jumping I suppose got better because you focused on that flat work element you know with the quote I see a lot kind of in the horse industry that you know with jumping you know, 95% of the time on the ground and your 5% in the air did you find at that time that Your show jumping got better because of your flat work.
1: Absolutely. And I had a fantastic show jumping coach at the time who was really particular about flat work. So, although he was my jumping coach, we spent half our lessons doing work on the flat because he was really, really, you know, into making sure your horses were well schooled. And it did, you know, because you could, when I could bring in a bit of collection, I could jump on an angle, you know, if I was Mm -hmm. in a jump off and all these things. So, 100% it made my jumping so much better you know I was often quite would win jump offs, and it wasn't that I had the biggest horse with the biggest stride but I was I was able to turn them in these spaces and bring them back Mm. and things like that because I'd worked so hard on the flat to get them you know good in those ways so yeah I think it was a a really really important part of my show jumping time as well
0: I think for um if there's any like young riders listening you know I know a lot of young kids at times I see, you know, oh, I hate dress ads, I hate dress <laughs> ads, but, like, you know, you've reiterated how, like, important it is. Yeah. But something that stuck out to me, you know, with, I suppose, your attitude to, you know, when you came out of a test and you said, oh, my circle wasn't big enough, I want to get better, I want to get better, that's such an admirable quality because you, you know, you I suppose you have that internal motivation and that drive to constantly um, improve and I guess I, I know I'm probably jumping a few questions, but how do you, I suppose, balance that, you know, inner critic of wanting to improve, but not letting it kind of, um, I suppose, unmotivate you either, does that make sense? You mentioned that we're all our own worst critics, but I suppose there's a balance
1: really, isn't there? Exactly, that's what I was going to say, we're all our own worst critics, and I think that's it, and I think to succeed in anything in life, you know, any sport any career anything you have to be self critical you know you've got to be realistic to evaluate your weaknesses and things and i think that i struggled with that a lot when i was younger because i could be overly critical of myself to a point that i would kind of talk myself down you know i would go okay. I, you know my my pony that i jumped on he was incredible but if he had a stop i'd always blame myself oh well, what it must have been me i must have not prepared him i must have let him down somehow. And at times my mum would have to say, you know, it's not always you. You know, sometimes mm. he was cheeky. Sometimes he would stop at a fence. It's just the nature of things. And then, and I guess this is skipping ahead a little bit as well. I had a bad riding accident um seven years ago and I broke my back in two places and I was seriously, seriously injured. And that put a turn on everything because after you come back from that, suddenly you look at things very, very differently. Um, and that I think was a huge thing for me because prior to my accident I, I didn't ride as a riding wasn't my career I you know I loved riding and I love my horses but I didn't know that I was going to go after it so much like this but oh. after my accident and coming back from that the hunger it gave me you know made me decide that this was the life you know I wanted to pursue but also I think obviously I had so many hurdles to overcome with confidence and you know etc but equally it helped me balance my thought process a bit more because hey. you know suddenly things are in perspective you know you can go and have a test and maybe it's not exactly as you wanted maybe you feel you could have written better or done this or done that but I'm able to evaluate more of my bigger picture and be like okay well yeah it wasn't perfect today but it was better than last time or that thing I've been working on is really coming on now you know and that definitely helped me kind of evaluate things and even out my headspace because I think prior to that I was probably overly critical.
0: Okay. Wow, there's so much there. And, <clears throat> you know, thank you for um, opening up about that. I had absolutely no idea that that had happened to you. Yeah. And I guess, you know, <clears throat> my initial thought as you were telling me when you said that, you know, it wasn't your career before the acting and then it was your career afterwards. Yeah straight away you would think that the opposite would happen to people yeah. you know that kind of way and I guess I can appreciate how you <clears throat> focus now you level that level out your headset but or your, your mindset but that you look at it from a process point of view so kind yeah. of like in goal setting you'd have you know your outcome goals and your process goals and of course we all like to go to competitions and think yeah I'd love to win that class and yeah I'd love to do yes, this yeah. but we have to focus on the process of how we're actually going to do it. So how, I suppose, with the accident, I suppose, how did you manage to work through in terms of building your confidence to get to the point where you are now? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I talk quite openly about my accident because for me, when I did have my accident, um, I struggled to find anyone who had made a comeback talking about it, and that was hard. So now I'm pretty open in talking about it because I hope that if anyone out there is going through something similar themselves, then maybe, you know, they can find a bit of hope from my story. So I'll just give you a brief history because it will lead on. But I fell off a young horse, young horse, not a fault, just one of those really bad luck things. And I broke my back in two places. But sadly for me, one of my fractures was pushing on my spinal cord. So for a couple of days, I was touch and go whether or not I would be paralyzed. So I was lying there in a hospital bed, getting and losing the feeling in my legs. It was, you know, a terrifying time. And in the end, it was kind of came down to me that the neurosurgeons I was seeing wanted to do surgery and insert metal work to kind of hold everything where it should be away from the spinal cord. But the orthopedic surgeons didn't want to do that because they didn't want to risk what could go horribly wrong in surgery. So I was 20 years old and left to make this decision on my own um, and thankfully I have a phenomenal family who were you know such a huge support through all of that but I, I chose to go ahead to surgery and you know fast forward I spent seven months out of the saddle which was the longest time I'd ever spent in my life not on a horse um, and you know for the good three four months of that I had to learn to walk again and I can dress myself I had to move back home with my parents and you know there was so much of that mentally that tried me in so many ways and throughout that time I had these ups and downs where I thought I don't know if I want to ride again I was terrified you know and they always say fall off get back on the horse but I didn't have that option so I had all this time to think and think and think about this accident I'd had and nothing I could do about it but my mom and like I say my parents were great and my mom said if you don't want to ride again that's fine but we have to sell your horses because it's not fair on them to do nothing and that was a very quick like oh no we can't sell my horses (laughs) (laughs) we cannot do that so absolutely not yeah exactly so I decided to you know try and bite the bullet and get back to it and I had a bit of a delayed reaction with when I did get back on initially for a few weeks I was fine I was so happy and then it was like the penny dropped and my confidence just hit the floor and I was terrified I, you know, my horse would like stumble and I would be screaming, you know, I was so scared and I was training with a really nice woman at the time who kind of sat down with me one day and said, you need to get some help. You know, your, your mindset's not in a good place. And I actually went and had hypnotherapy, um, which I was mildly skeptical about ahead of time, but it was the best thing I ever did. Um, and alongside having hypnotherapy and then I started sports psychology with a wonderful woman called Camilla, um, that just changed everything. It helped me look and process everything in a different way. It helped me kind of evaluate situations more logically. It's easy Mm -hmm. as human beings, we're so natural to go straight to that terrible place. Like, oh, I'm gonna die. The emotional reaction. Exactly, it's just Mm -hmm. complete, you know, over panic. And I didn't want that to be my life because it made me panicky in my general life. You know, I was scared of falling over walking down the street because I was scared I'd hurt myself I didn't like going to concerts because if I bumped into people it would be scary and you know all those kind of things so speaking to these people really really helped me in kind of separating what was logical and sort of breaking it down and in the process of that and you know I spent so much time with my horses on the ground when I couldn't ride the relationships I built with the horses and the trust and everything that went with Mm you know really I think when you're not horsey people don't understand the bond you have with these animals yeah and having that particularly you know Donderstein is my heart horse sadly he's retired now but he you know is my one he was at my wedding he's my very special boy and um you know having the relationship with him I just realized kind of how special it all was and how much I wanted to you know, really make it go of it. So yeah, with the help of some great people, I kind of got myself to a place that I could try and pursue it. Like that is
0: all the levels of, you know, inspiring and and motivating. And I guess like, you know, having to make that decision at yeah. twenty years old, you know, is never a decision you'd think that, you know, I I suppose you're basically at a, at a, at a, at a fork to go one way or the other. And, you know, it's a testament to your drive and determination, you know, in, in terms of like, we can be our own worst enemies in terms of our own, like, worst critics. But I think the first step is the hardest and is reaching out for help. I think sometimes that can be the hardest step for people. Um, And you know, it's, we always talk about the team that we have around us in terms of like the farrier and the vest and the physio, but yeah. you also need a team around you in terms of you as a rider, in terms of like your physio and your, your, um, your um, sports psychologist. But hypnotherapy is something I don't have a lot of knowledge about, or, um, you know, I, I'm not very aware, that I haven't heard of many people um, mm-hmm. getting it. So if you are happy enough to share your experience on how it helped you. Um, yeah. How did sure. you find it?
1: I mean, for me, again, it was something exactly the same. I didn't have a lot of experience. I hadn't really heard of many people doing it. But, you know, someone recommended it to me and said, oh, you know, go see this woman. She's great. And I was a little bit skeptical. You kind of think of hypnotherapy. You think of someone waving something in front of your face, <laughs> you know, follow this. And and it was nothing like that at all. I would go to this this woman's place and I would lie on a bed and she would talk to me. And, you know, some sessions I can remember crystal clear in some sessions I don't remember much from and it was about reprogramming how your brain reacts to a scenario so you know it was about kind of you know there were sessions where she would say I would have to replay this my accident on a loop in my head like I was watching on a tv screen and you know we would do that and then we would replace it with a happy image and the idea being that you would keep kind of doing this until it minimized the the shock value I guess of you know what had happened and she said to me at the time you're not going to wake up tomorrow and feel totally different but you'll realize one day that your reactions have mellowed and she was right you know I didn't feel different I didn't think anything was that different I was still pretty skeptical it even worked and then one day (laughs) I was riding around and my horse had this massive spook and I laughed and my mum like froze (laughs) because prior to this you know I'd been screaming in fear And we both kind of looked at each other and she was like, are are you okay? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. And my heart was, my heart rate had kind of gone up, but that panic reaction I'd been having had just softened so much. And it was just the way I reacted, reacted to situations had just changed and yeah it was fascinating because it didn't my fear was not gone I couldn't say that I was suddenly the world's most confident person I was still nervous but I didn't have such a quick panic reaction and then taking away that panic reaction allowed me to build my confidence because I could keep riding through these scenarios that I'd been avoiding before that so yeah it was it was fascinating actually that
0: is really really cool and the um the thing that sticks out is like you know especially with horses like it is inevitable the barrel that has been in the corner for the last 20 years (laughs) will always be the barrel that they will spook at and it's never not they're never not going to spook at it but like that's the thing with horses we all know the risk in terms of you know the the flight animals yeah and sometimes it's it's not the situation you know that um effect such as our reaction to it, and I guess you know your reaction the whole time was you know to go into panic mode, which probably made the situation worse. Would it? Would you agree? You know, when yes, then your yeah, reaction changed,
1: yeah.
0: And then the horse realized, you know, oh, so she's not panicking. I don't need to panic.
1: Exactly. So that was it, because you know, particularly these dressage horses we have, we all know they're fairies. You know, they're very <laughs> delicate, easily upset. You know, sensitive creatures. So of course, I would panic. They would panic everything would fall apart whereas if I didn't panic then they'd be like oh okay it must be all right and we would be able to carry on and you know Donderstein that I mentioned was the spookiest horse in the world at home I could go to a show we'd be fine but every day that mounting block was definitely going to eat him you know every day and I'd be like I get on here every day every day he would spook it at the same you know and it's like you say they're just they're such funny creatures and we know that they're flight animals and you know that's something we just have to learn to work with but yeah when I wasn't reacting then it was so much easier to move past the situation
0: yeah yeah that um I really love delving into that kind of um you know the mindset kind of conversation with with my guest and I suppose you know as your career which we'll go into a bit more in a minute but as your career had progressed and you've added such a beautiful string of horses to your yard is that something that you do keep up on a regular basis with um you know the the, the psychology sessions and stuff I think sometimes you know we often go to get help when we've reached a crisis point yeah. and then we don't can you know we think that I you know we're, we're, we're dealing with it okay or we're getting better or we coping more <clears throat> we don't feel the need to I suppose continue on with those sessions and that's yes. probably something that it's like a muscle you kind of have to keep exercising it.
1: To keep exactly and that's so true and that's such a good way of putting it and yeah, yeah I think you know after I mean it's been seven years now since my accident and initially afterwards I was really good at getting help and then like you say I thought I'm fine I'm, I'm good I'm sorted now I don't need anything and I stopped getting help and then you know a couple of years passed and I can't even remember what the triggering factor was but I you know whether it was I had a slightly difficult horse or a difficult ride and and I was suddenly really really scared again and had got like you say to that point that I then really needed the help yeah. so and that's when I began working with Camilla my sports psychologist and since then that must be three years or so now I've been working with her and I speak to her once a month with I fail and more if I need to in the peak of competition season or if I have something stressful coming up or something I'm worried about. But I make sure that I speak to her at least once a month. And I don't plan to ever change that. Um, because I think, you know, like you say, it's hard to ask for help. And also in this industry, I think maybe, you know, more than other sports, it's a bit it's hard to ask for help. It's almost, you know, people think they need to suffer to succeed. And I don't think we should have to suffer. I think, you know, you have to work hard and you have to sacrifice and, you know, all those things. But I think that it's really, really important to not let yourself suffer and to reach out and get help, whether that be physically or mentally for anything. And like I say, now that I have someone I can speak to, I, you know, don't ever want to stop having that.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the the, the fact that you got a once a month, you know, I think, we're way quicker to get our horse to a physio once a month, or uh, you know, we obviously know if the failure comes every five, six weeks, six, seven yep. weeks. However regular your horse needs it, but like, I would agree in that <clears throat> sometimes in certain aspects of the industry, we're so quick to get our horses' help. But it's a hard enough in this it's a hard enough sport to begin with. Yeah. I don't think it's you know, it's fair for that kind of stigma to be there that we should suffer you know what I mean because it's yeah. a hard
1: enough game yeah exactly, it to begin well, exactly. With, that's it you, you know, know you work you work with a teammate that doesn't speak so you can't ask them what's going on you know you've got yourself to look after and then this other creature to look after there's so much that goes into a successful partnership that absolutely like we should get all the help we need like you say I would never cancel my horse's physio appointment. but I would cancel my own, you know, and yeah. it, it shouldn't be like that. We should really take, you know, I treat my horses like gold. They want for nothing. They get every physio, farrier, massage, anything, you know, but we need to look after ourselves like that too. Mm. I think, you know, to be able to look, have long-term success.
0: Oh yeah. No, I, I I agree 100%. And I think there's so much value in, in saying that because, you know, whether it's a young up-and-coming rider or, you know, a current rider at the moment to know that, like, you know, and I guess with this podcast, it's not that I'm trying to highlight people's um low points be- because, you know, it's it's not to highlight them, but it's to reiterate that we all go through them because it's such yeah. an isolating sport that we all go through them and it's to make, I suppose, a bit of relatability and make it okay to ask for help and that you don't have to suffer because. I suppose with (coughs) social media and technology help can be so readily available now as well and yes we can get the help on on social media and technology but it's sometimes just nice to ask for help in person too.
1: Yeah absolutely I think you know social media has so many good and bad points but for sure there's a network you know it's much easier to have a network of people you can talk to and reach out to but sometimes you need like you say someone in person or you know One to one, that you can really, and like you know, I'm I have an amazing family, and my husband's wonderful, and my parents, and my friends, and I have so many people I can lean on. But equally, sometimes you need something more than that, and that's absolutely fine. And I think that that should be more normalized. You know, the people do reach, and I think it is becoming more normalized. I think you hear more and more of the top riders, top athletes speaking about the fact they get, you know, they speak to these people for their, you know, their mental their mental health or their mental game you know it's mm. we all know so much fits in our head <laughs> so we need to try and keep everything going well there as well as physically so
0: yeah yeah no I 100% agree and um, going on to your horses yes your beautiful <laughs> horses um I do believe that you have the newest edition of yeah. last week can you tell me more about them
1: um, so I have very recently, as in last week, <laughs> added, um, and a very exciting new horse. So I have purchased a horse called Houghton's Delicato, who was previously owned, trained, and competed by none other than Carl Hester. So it's unbelievably exciting. I pinch myself every day. I find myself staring at him a lot and thinking, are <laughs> here? like, are you really in my barn?" Um, and obviously, there's a lot of pressure, and it's really scary as well to follow in because after Carl owned and he was then owned by Fiona Bigwood two British Olympians so you know it's it's a it's a big big shoes to fill but I'm so excited um you know for hopefully all the fun and hopefully success that is to come with him over time
0: oh absolutely absolutely oh it's such an exciting time and actually something that you mentioned um back when we were kind of talking about um your accident you had mentioned that um you know about the partnership with horses and how much time you spend with the animals yeah uh, off the saddle and you had actually said to me before we started recording that you know you spend a lot of time cuddling Del yeah Uh, I believe his stable name is Del is it yeah Del yeah that's
1: um
0: and there's a lot of value in that because I believe you know like horsemanship doesn't start in the saddle it starts on the ground and I think there's a lot of value in realizing that your partnership starts on the ground. And, you know, what, what you're saying that you stare at him a lot and you yeah. cuddle him a lot, that's <laughs> all adding to the partnership.
1: Yeah, I think it's so, you know, I'm, I have a lot of horses of work at the moment. So, you know, a lot of the time I do have to ask the girls to work on the yard to get them ready for me. But I love the days that I can do that myself. And like, for instance, one of our girls is on holiday this week. So we've been a bit short staffed. So I've been doing them all myself. And I love that time. I love that time that I spend on the ground with them as much as I do riding them. You know, I all my horses have great personalities. I don't know. Maybe I just pick the really cuddly ones, but or maybe I force it on them. I don't know. But, you know, I (laughs) love having a cuddle with my my horses and they're a sweet bunch. And we you know, we do the girls on the yard, my mom, myself, we spend a lot of time just loving on them. And I think, you know, for hopefully the majority of people in the sport, we do it because we love the animal. And I just like, it sounds so corny. I love my horses so much and I love spending time with them and, you know, getting to cuddle them and everything. And yeah, I think it only makes you stronger as a partnership when you have, you know, the the bond on the ground I've spoken about Donderstein already and and you know he like I say I had to retire him prematurely sadly but he's a big horse he's like 17 he's very long I'm not very tall but we and you know it probably shouldn't have worked for as long as it did he, you know him being so big and powerful and quite quite spicy quite sensitive but I adore that horse <laughs> Everything, and he's my best friend, and we spend so much time together on the ground that it did work, and I think that's why because we had such yeah. a great relationship. I mean, you know, you look at Abby Lyle and Artie, she worships horse She, you know, Abby lived with me for a year, so I was first hand witness to how abby and Artie, you know would spend their days walking around the school together and all of that and i think that's one of the reasons they're such an amazing partnership and mm. it really is so much more than just the riding and i love having you know the opportunity to, to spend those moments precious moments with the horses
0: yeah yeah no i really appreciate that because i think you know that is something that can maybe often get overlooked you know especially as yeah. you string you know gets bigger you know obviously the time spent with each animal gets less and less but I'm you know it's it's lovely to hear that you do carve out that time to have that that moment with them and that time with them and and I do agree like you know even when I was lucky enough to talk to Abby on the podcast you know you can see how much their partnership how strong their partnership is which has led to their success as well yeah and you know, I suppose going through, you know, your horses was um, your first horse that kind of, I suppose, took you to international level and took you higher up the level. What was that feeling like?
1: I mean, that was pretty amazing. So that would be my my boy, Johnny. We call him Johnny at home. His, his posh name is Criato. Um, <clears throat> and I bought him maybe six or seven years ago. And he had competed to PSG or Pre-Saint George with his owner in Holland. And I had never myself ridden above medium, So I was looking for a kind of a schoolmaster, but also something that I could hopefully progress with and and compete with. And Johnny was, you know, is my, I always say Johnny is my hero to you know, we won our first regional, we went to our first nationals, first internationals, first Grand Prix, first Grand Prix international. We did everything together. uh, well, I, he, I still have him I'm making a sound like he's gone he's still very much at home <laughs> <Very happy. laughs> but yeah it was absolutely amazing because I keep thinking I've reached all my dreams and then you know every time you reach one you think well I best make a new one and Johnny was kind of the one that helped me do all of that and there's just nothing l- like it and he's such a funny character like you know he's actually quite naughty to deal with on the ground <laughs> you know he bites not in an aggressive way but he nibbles and i always say i'm most scared of trotting him up at the show as opposed to riding because guaranteed he'll leap and land on me at least once but i love his cheekiness and i love you know all his little quirks and i think that's what makes him what he is and you know i know how to work around them and make sure i don't get landed on too often and all these things <laughs> And I just owe him everything. And I'm so glad, you know, I've had that fun with him. And I mean, very unfortunately he got quite a bad injury this year and we're just at the beginning of rehab and I'm I'm not entirely sure what will happen long-term but, you know, he'll always have his home with me. So regardless, you know he'll be my overgrown pony forever. But he, yeah, he just helped me achieve so many dreams that I at times I didn't even know I had you know each one was just better than the last and it's such a buzz you know every time you accomplish something else something new that you didn't think you'd ever be able to but um yeah he's a special boy.
0: I love that you said that you know you had a dream and then when you read that dream you're like okay let's create a new one yeah. and there so- is always that animal that you know I suppose you start out with and they exceed all your expectations and more you yeah. know and was he was Johnny the kind of one then that kind of made you think right I want a career out of this was he kind of the one that made you kind of say right I'm going to go all in with the with the career
1: yeah I think you know I'd, I'd been kind of dabbling with that idea with Donderstein um because he was so talented and and I realized that maybe we could accomplish great things and that was really exciting but it was getting Johnny and learning about those higher levels and everything that made me think this is what I want to do with I would not you know I've always loved the horses and the competing and but really deciding that yeah this is what I want to do with my life I would I would owe to Johnny Um, mm. he just he taught me everything and we learned so much together and I think that that was you know we laugh because a couple of years ago I nearly sold him I thought you know maybe I was having some trouble teaching but I was having a lot of trouble teaching him the 110 piece for the for the Grand Prix and I thought he's not going to be a Grand Prix horse he's done so much for me maybe now he can go do something for someone else mm-hmm. and he must have heard me because pretty much the next day we cracked the 110 piece <laughs> and we Went, and I think now I can't believe I nearly sold that horse like I would have been mad like you know that would have been the worst thing and I'm so glad I didn't um but I would say he's the one that really helps me like I say he was my first internationals and the first Grand Prix and he was the one I guess that you know probably put my name out there a bit and you know as the rider I am now I owe all of that to him
0: yeah yeah I love that when he said that uh, he must have heard and then he's like no I don't want to go anywhere <laughs> yeah. I will do everything yeah. it's like they test our patience really isn't yeah. it
1: yeah
0: and in terms then of your um competition career then what has been your proudest competition moment
1: today I mean there's you know there's a couple that stand out um probably one of the main ones for me was, um, this year in Compiègne, um, my international Grand Prix with Johnny. It was the strangest trip of my life. Uh, I went out with Abby and I had Johnny to do the Grand Prix. And then I also had my other horse pie to do the small tour classes. And Abby came out with Farrell and Artie and we were all camped together. And it was a really like fun trip. But the first day I was riding my Grand Prix on Johnny in the worst thunderstorm. I've ever witnessed in my entire life I actually remember halfway through my test and the judge rang the bell and I was like I I haven't gone wrong I know I've not gone wrong and she basically said the lightning is too dangerous you have to stop and I was like "Is, is this for life I am halfway through an international grand prix and I've just been told stop and it was so bizarre I was sent back to the stables and then there was kind of this mad rush when they started going again of everyone's times were all off and everyone was arguing I want to go now no I want to go now and I had to start from halfway through my test and just carry on and it was such a mind you know it's messed with my mind so much and I went away and I was quite sad because obviously I hadn't been able to give the performance I'd wanted to because you know things just hadn't been the weather like it didn't matter it was never going to be what we wanted it to be and then I went away and you know I had a day and then I got to compete the Grand Prix in the consolation final at the next day. And that horse gave me I almost get emotional thinking about it. He gave me everything he had and I rode around this Grand Prix to get like a personal best score international Grand Prix what would have been my first um MERS score so your minimum eligibility requirement for big yes. yeah all your big competitions and stuff and i loved every single minute and i kind of came out and thought this this is it this this is everything i you know i want and then you know icing on the cake was i finished eighth that day abby won the class and i got to stand in a prize giving next to abby and that you know was also a huge thing she's my trainer but she's also one of my best friends so for us to kind of go through all that together and to have had such an awful day one and bounce back and have him give me everything he had we'll just never i'll never ever ever forget forget that test
0: to come back after having you know been stopped halfway through a test then having to restart. I actually do remember um seeing it on social media the downpour was something else like I mean I'm pretty sure the arenas were flooded and everything oh yeah we
1: were like swimming I've never (laughs) never seen anything like it you know Johnny actually really hates rain so you know it was the worst conditions he could have ever he'd much rather have it hot and flies and he hates the rain and the thunder you know I have videos and it sounds like it's a sound effect because it's so loud, this thunder. But no, no. And you know, he tried so hard, he was so well behaved, but naturally he can't give his best in those conditions. Yeah. But to come back two days later and having, you know, basically been traumatized. I think we were both traumatized from this experience. <laughs> to come back two days later and for him to give me such a solid performance just felt like everything. That you ever dream
0: of. So Yeah, yeah. Cause I can imagine, you know, and t- and certainly and like some of the dress I tests I've come out of, you know, there's always that one like little niggling thing that you're like, oh if I just did this, yeah, but exactly. when it all like I you know, I'm not I know it's a very spiritual thing to say, but you know, when the stars aligned and, yeah, and yeah, everything know, yeah. goes right, I think it's just it's kind of reminds you of your why when you're going through the tick of the bad weather and exactly. snow and thunderstorms and everything it reminds you of your why as to why you're doing this
1: yeah and like you know I had another one a bit like that this year earlier at the winter nationals with Pi and um, we did the we came second in the PSG music with over 75 percent and it was a uh, uh, my music for that was from the Disney uh, Disney movie Moana and oh, lovely. I love the music, and Pi loves the music. And again, it was one of those tests we just had so much fun. You know, like I came out grinning ear to ear because I always remember a steward saying to me, You look really happy. And she was almost like concerned. <laughs> I was like, I'm oh. so happy. This is do people not look like this usually? <laughs> like, I'm really, really happy. And it was another moment where you kind of say it felt almost like, the stars align and everything just falls into place and all that work you've put in for the months and years leading up to just kind of pays off. And that, you know, was was another one of those. So I'm grateful to, you know, be able to say I've had at least two of those moments. Yeah. And yeah, very proud.
0: Lovely. And I guess with um, you know, do you do um coaching on the side as well as having a string of horses?
1: I do I do a tiny bit I don't do very much one because I'm quite tight on time (laughs) and two because I'm not overly confident in coaching um I help all the girls the the work for me and I have a few friends I help I'd love to get into coaching a bit more now you know that I have more experience and things and it's definitely something I'd like to get into but it's not something I do a huge amount of right now
0: yeah 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 and I suppose, you know, we already kind of um, dived into, you know, I suppose, a, a struggle that you've had to overcome. Um, is there, I suppose, any, I think mean, that is a, <laughs> a pretty big uh, struggle to begin with, you know, um, but is there anything, I suppose, in recent years that you found yourself, I suppose, um, you know, with COVID and everything and then kind of getting that back out competing and
1: stuff? I was going to say, you know, COVID obviously threw everyone. And for me, I consider myself so fortunate for a few reasons. Reason number one, the week before lockdown, Abby moved here. So when everyone else was stuck, unable to do anything, I had my trainer living in my yard. So everything was pretty great for me. (laughs) I got you know daily training and I had a friend to ride with and I got to go to the yard every day. You know, all these poor people had to stay at home and weren't allowed out. I went to see my horses every day because I I had to, you know, and Mm. um, I'm very grateful for. And initially with COVID, I thought, this is great. I don't have to travel because, you know, I live in the northeast of Scotland. So every competition I want to go to is a long drive. So initially I thought, this is great. I don't have to travel. I, you know, I can really put in the work at home. It's all fantastic. And then, you know, the months ticked by and it was like, is this ever going to end? And then it became harder because you've put in all this work and you're desperate to show it and you're desperate to show what you've been doing and you can. And then when when we were able to go out again, you know, you kind of think, oh, well, I'll just pick up where I left off. And it wasn't like that for the horses. You know, they were... A couple of them were really triggered by the fact they hadn't been out and about. You know, I mm. had a l- lovely black mirror at the time and she just did not cope having not been in competitions for a while. Then when I started taking her out again, she was so upset and stressed and, you know, really quite regressed into herself. And that was frustrating because I'd put in so much work at home and I thought, great, we're going to go out and smash this and it's all going to be amazing. And it, d- it just didn't happen like that. So that was hard. But I think everyone was in the same boat mm. and everyone was very supportive of one another in these situations you know there were plenty of people having bad rides or shows and then people being there when you came out to give you a pat on the back and say it's okay don't worry you know it happens mm. to so that was that was hard from I guess a frustration point of view but like I say I I, I can't complain about it too much because I was one of the lucky ones you know so yeah
0: yeah, yeah. And I guess um one of the things you mentioned is you know with you being so far up north with having to travel so much is that mm-hmm. something that you know you really have to I suppose you must have your long distance travel kind of routine down to a T. Do you mm-hmm. have any tips? Do you have any tips for you know riders that are doing long distance travel? Because I guess I the part of island I'm in. You know like most of my competitions or events are really only ever two hours max so what kind of hours would you be putting in in terms of going to just a normal competition or even big competitions and what kind of tips would you have in terms of traveling?
1: I mean we have a few venues around about us for local competitions so if I want to take the young horses out you know I have two or three on my doorstep so I am lucky in that sense but any premier leagues or internationals or nationals or anything you know, they start at seven, eight hours away. Um, And when we say, when we know we're going on a seven hour drive, we go, oh, it's quite local. And we laugh because we're like, that's fine. Because it's not unusual to have to go 12 hours to get somewhere. Um, And obviously it takes a full day extra if we're going abroad because to even get to the port, you know, is so far away. And in ways I'm, you know, I've always lived here. So this has always been the way it is for me. It's not like I moved here and then had to adjust. It was just always the way. And I think it's good in parts because the horses are so used to traveling. So they don't mind being on the lorry for hours. And, you know, they generally are pretty relaxed and they eat and they're, you know, all those things. But it sucks because it's tiring. It's really, really tiring. And right now I'm the only one um, with a HGV license. So I have to do all the driving as well as all the riding. So it becomes a lot to you know to do to drive all the way somewhere compete for three days and drive all the way back and I think it is the more you do it the more you get used to it the first couple of the year are always the worst because it's such a thought and as goes on going it eases it doesn't seem as brutal as it did before um but tips wise I think you know it's just planning like I am such a meticulous planner I plan everything down to the tiniest detail I love a list I've listed everywhere for everything I'm one of those people and I think planning you know making sure that you have everything for you and your horses planning your stops if you can and just trying to be realistic about what you can do you know there's no point in saying oh I'm gonna go drive that 12 hours in one hour it's probably not gonna happen you know it's not it's not reasonable so I think planning ahead for like I say making sure you have everything stops and getting adequate rest and you know if I do, I do all the driving, then generally once we get to the show and the horses are, are in their stables and have food and water, I will go sit in the lorry and have like mm. some quiet time while my groom will maybe take them for a walk or pop their rug on or whatever. You know, we always make sure they're fine, but then you need to make sure you give yourself time to yeah. relax and decompress as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that because like, you know, driving does take a lot out of of people you know especially when you have to drive and ride and it goes back to what we were saying earlier about we do so much for the horses but you have to do so much for yourself as well and I guess um just an overall before we finish up kind of like with you know I suppose your experience the experiences that you've been through in terms of like your competitions and the levels that you're at and even just you know through your accident and stuff what advice would you have for up-and-coming riders, I suppose, not just up-and-coming riders, but I suppose riders in general of any discipline? Um, I suppose the biggest one would be, you know, like, the most important attribute to being a successful rider, you know, what's kind of the one attribute that you kind of think, right, if you have that, you're kind of winning, you know?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, discipline is so important, and I don't, I don't mean, like, negative discipline, I mean, you know, in being disciplined with yourself. And that doesn't mean you have to be at the yard at eight o'clock or you have to do this or you have to do that. Mm. But making sure that you set goals for yourself that you can achieve and that you will achieve. So I, you know, if you have, if you want to go to your regionals or even, you know, you want to go to a show with your horse, like break that down. I think people are so quick to go, well, I have to be there and I have to be there then. Be disciplined and like taking the steps to get there and you know I mean in all of what we've covered today the mental aspects of making sure you're mentally prepared and then obviously physically everything that goes you know with getting yourself and your horses physically fit and I think it's so easy for people to jump the gun and think I'm going to go here and I want to do this and I have to do it in three months so that's not the type of discipline I mean I mean in almost being discipline and being slow I don't know if that makes sense but taking time I think you know it's so easy to rush and then it doesn't go to plan and you get disheartened I think that there's always time and taking things one step at a time and making yourself take things one step at a time is such an important thing and you know try and be kind to yourself it's easier said than done but as we've you know said time and time again you know we are our own worst critic and I think that being kind to yourself and giving yourself time to to reach your goals however big or small they may be is one of the biggest things you can do to to succeed.
0: I love that. That is really, really solid advice. And I love the discipline aspect in, you know, I guess it's focusing on the process of your goal. Yeah. And I suppose like, you know, just putting on a set of literal horse blinkers and just focusing on yourself. Cause I can imagine, you know, when you kind of rough to do things or rough to get there quickly it's usually because, you know, we see somebody else going there mm. or, you know, just focusing on your own goal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And,
0: and speaking of goals, what are your long and short-term goals?
1: I mean, for the rest of the year, I have a really quiet year, which is lovely. I don't have any competitions coming up. I'll take my young horse side to a couple of things, but just training. I'm really excited to get to know Dale. I'm hoping to step high up to Grand Prix next year, so we'll be training hard over winter. Um, so you know short term, there's not really much on the horizon. Just keep on with the training, hopefully move most of the horses up a level. Long term, <laughs> there's always you know the dreams. I would absolutely love to ride at the Europeans next year. And that is something that I would really, really love to do. And obviously everyone's dream is the Olympics. But I am also trying to keep myself in check um, and not get too carried away. But my, you know, I guess longish term, shortish term, it's a bit of both, would be the, the Europeans next summer. So hopefully, you know, we put in the work and we see what happens.
0: Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> and fingers and hooves crossed. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And the, the very best of luck with that. Thank and... You. The, some quick fire questions then to finish off this incredibly like inspiring and you know really thought-provoking conversation um what does success mean to you
1: I measure success in happiness if that makes sense for me it's not necessarily about you know what um y- you know you've accomplished on paper but it's about how it makes you feel so for me, you know, I feel like this year has been one of my most successful years and I, and it probably has been on paper, but also it's felt so great. Um, I've been so happy and I've accomplished so much. So for me, you know, I try and look at it much more and how it makes me feel than what it looks like to everyone else.
0: Oh, that's really nice. That's really <laughs> nice. Um one dress out hosp that you would love to sit on.
1: Now, I always get her name wrong slightly, um, but I believe she's Helene Stanciera. She is on the Danish team. She's Karina uh, Kruth, again, could have us slightly wrong. It's her horse, and I am obsessed with that mare. She's my favourite thing in the world right now. Well, obviously, you know, apart from my horses, which are (laughs) cool. But um, I love watching her, and if I could have the opportunity to sit on that mare, I would die too.
0: (laughs) Oh, I've never, I've never, um, I've never heard of her now, but I will be going to, uh, I will be going to have a little Google. Um, and a dream coach that you'd love to have a lesson with?
1: Um, Peter Minderhood, um, the Dutch oh. Grand Prix rider? I've always loved Hans, um, loved watching him ride, Love, you know, I've met him once or twice, very fortunately, and he seems like an absolutely lovely person. And I would love to have a lesson with him.
0: Oh, I love that! I love mm-hmm. that. <laughs> but now that this has been such such a lovely conversation. Um, I was so excited to get to tap you even before we recorded, and I've really enjoyed all the areas we delved into. I really feel that you've brought a lot of value. Um, thank you. And I really think people are going to go away and be really inspired and yeah thank you so much for um i've had
1: so much fun thank you so much for asking me to be here and yeah taking the time to talk to me it's been fantastic so thank you
0: oh thank you again and um if people want to get in contact with you i believe your um i suppose like your social media handles down below but if anybody wanted to get in contact with you for anything related to this podcast where can they find you
1: um my instagram is probably my best bet so it's just um fenella quinn dressage i'm also the same on facebook and you know please feel free to pop me a message about anything if you'd like to perfect thank you so much